Hello, welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I wonder who would win in a fight between Doctor Strange and Doctor Sleep. And I'm Gary, and today we're going to review and discuss Doctor Sleep, which released in 2019, based on the novel by Stephen King, with a screenplay and directed by Mike Flanagan. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Ewan McGregor's character, Danny Torrance. Danny has been living with some nightmares after his father tried to kill him when he was younger. But now he is hiding his shine ability from the local populace. But has got feelings that a young girl is being hunted by a group of supernatural beings who want to feed on her shine. So Mike Flanagan is... Um, I first became aware of this director about nine years ago. Right. Uh, 2013 with a small horror film called Oculus. Okay. And, uh, you know, it came out with a slew of other movies around that time, and I kind of avoided that one for the most part. It didn't have anything that made it really stand out. Yeah. Um, but uh, this director, you know, a few years later, he's done lots of other things, uh, but uh, really got my attention when he released Gerald's Game uh, in 2017. Primarily because it is a Stephen King adaptation. Okay, yeah. Uh, but this, this director would also do one of, if not my favourite, and I think one of the best ever supernatural ghost family haunting series or dramas okay. uh, on Netflix with The Haunting of Hill House. It was 10 episodes in 2018. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And so then when I heard that this guy was then going to be doing Doctor Sleep, I was like, this will be a second Stephen King adaptation. I have no no you know no qualms about about this director now. And of course he's gone on from here to do even greater work. Even maybe exploring some of the themes and subject matter of Doctor sleep yeah uh with the midnight mass yeah uh which released uh, 2021 and is an absolutely phenomenal mini series where mike flanagan gets to explore all of those ideas that uh, are so interesting especially in horror and uh uh, characters dealing with repression uh, and addiction yeah. and trying to overcome those things it's very uh very similar to what Stephen King went through in his real life, which is also what makes The Shining and Doctor Sleep also interesting books from King. And also from this director who has an eye for detail and knows how to bring themes and characters together to make an interesting story. Yeah. I, I, I've I, never really read anything more than what has obviously already been made into movies by Stephen King. You know, like I know like he has this whole like literature library of just books that you can fully explore but i've always been a movie type person so you know it was easy to follow when it was on tv you know tommy knockers was easier langolias was easier the shining is the big name you know among all of stephen king's work the shine i think maximum overdrive is his best thing <laughs> ever you know but like people argue the shining is probably the biggest thing but then when they adapted it into the film it's a Stanley Kubrick movie, really. Well, yeah. It's a Stanley Kubrick movie. He just took King's story and adapted it. Now, there's arguments and discussions of like where he took liberties and what he did, but he made the story easy to follow. And Stephen King was, of course, very famously not happy with Kubrick's The Shining. So much so that he went and got a, a, a Shining miniseries made somewhere in the right. 90s. <laughs> now, when the studios and Flanagan wanted to make Doctor Sleep, yeah. they had to approach Stephen King and go, Hey, we're going to turn your, your, your sequel book from The Shining, Doctor Sleep, into a movie. One thing, we're making it a sequel to Kubrick's The Shining, not... Right. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, there, there's some stories that Stephen King made negotiations really difficult, but then there's also some stories that Stephen King signed off on the screenplay with Mike Flanagan almost immediately right. because of prior relationships, yeah. and because he understood that Kubrick's Shining was, you know, the movie that everyone remembers. Yeah, well, we always have said, like, in every... I think we'll say it every time we talk about Stephen King's work being adapted, that... Like, things have to be adapted technically in a way. And The Shining, you know, it's... It, the TV miniseries sucks so bad. And, and that's coming from somebody who watched The Stand miniseries, which was absolutely superb. I was like five days of my childhood watching that story. I then go and watch The Shining miniseries. And honestly, the only thing I can remember are the plant 
animals coming to life <laughs> and trying to attack the child. Like, there's no axe. You know, the hotel explodes at the end. And this was the thing with this movie was, I knew when this movie came out, I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's going to hit some rocky shores if it can't keep the Shining Kubrick fans happy and the Shining King fans happy because they're not really the same people. <laughs> you know, they're two separate people. You have to understand this. So I had not watched Doctor Sleep on purpose. I didn't go to the cinema and watch it. I've never read the book. The wife bought it on DVD because she wanted to see it and she really enjoyed it. And I went, nope, I'm not watching it. I've got to, I've got to be in the mood. I've got to be in, ready for this. Like Stephen King, me and Stephen King have a rocky relationship. I've got to be ready. So knowing that we were sitting down for the three hour director's cut of Doctor Sleep, I'm like, okay, let's go. And so when the film starts, you know, you're not watching The Shining. You're watching Doctor Sleep. And so you have to establish yourself in the Doctor Sleep universe. True, but the moment you press play on this film, what do you hear? You hear some really cool audio cue, which is which is pretty Straight nifty. from The Shining. Straight so it lets you know. And especially in the director's cut as well, they, uh, they really... Uh, get to emphasize the fact that this belongs in the Shining film universe. It does, with, yeah. Especially with the filmmaking, with the long, slow dissolves, um, and with the heartbeat in the music track. Oh, yeah, right, okay, yeah, before we go too far, what the fuck was going on with that heartbeat? Well, it's straight from The Shining, and it's there to, uh, it, it's almost there to, because it's a slow heartbeat, it almost calms things down a little bit. It's right. a way to bring things back down. Did it? Because I, I... Like, I, I I, probably forgotten that it was in The Shining because there's so much going on in The Shining. But in this movie, that heartbeat pops up so many times. I kept thinking it was the person's heartbeat. Right. So, like, you hear it when you're, hearing, when you're with Ewan McGregor. So that's Danny's heartbeat. And then when it's with Rose the Hat, that's Rose's heartbeat. I swear it was a different beat each time with each different character. That, yeah, kind of soothed me in. But also had me tense when the heartbeat yeah. was like racing at certain yes. points. Yeah, yeah. I think the music score in this is fantastic. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's really, I mean, it's new. It, it, feels, it fits great for this film, but it does also remind you of the music from The Shining as well. So I think it's a good marriage of, of, of soundtrack to film. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we start off with this little girl, uh, Violet, uh, Florida, 1980. And <laughs> like, you can. I, maybe it's my experience, but I'm just like, man, this is not going to end well. <laughs> like, it's Stephen King. It's really creepy off the start. Mum's just like, don't go too far, Violet. Violet's like, I'm, I'm going to pick pretty flowers. And I'm like, you're so dead. Well, a, a lot of people have already made this parallel between this and Frankenstein. You know, sat there like the innocent monster almost with the girl. Or it. Or it, exactly. It, right, yes, right to start with, with uh, Georgie. Georgie. Yeah, yeah. And she comes up and she hears the singing of... Rose the Hat being played by Rebecca Ferguson like uh, I mean I, I didn't have the chance to check her wiki list I don't nothing kind of jumped out to me she's been in um, the most recent Mission Impossible films oh okay and she was also a pretty big role in uh, the most recent Dune adaptation as well ah well she's going on to greater heights but she sits there picking those flowers singing you know she kind of lures Violet over and she, like, she made flowers appear from her hat or she made Violet believe that there were flowers appearing from the hat. And off the, off the offset, you know, if, if this is fresh for you or you, maybe you've forgotten, people shine in this universe. And shiners are this universe's versions of psychers, basically, you know, and Violet obviously is a young um, shiner. And the, the way that each one of the true knot kind of appear in the forest, that's so vampire-like. Immediately off the offset, I'm like, these things are not human. Exactly. Well, it's never explicitly stated what they are. Or we are, you know, throughout the film, we get snippets of what they are like. And they are very much like vampires. Yeah. That don't have the crippling... Uh, side effect of bursting into flames in daylight. No, no. But uh, they are still all starving and their food source has been greatly diminished, probably because they've eaten it all. <laughs> uh, and it's the, the, the shine that people have 
in physical essence looks like steam and so they consume this girl's steam and we'll see them consuming uh, steam throughout the film well, that's it i this beginning is so is so done well compared to what happens later on in the movie that i don't think they took her out here they they whisk her in the van and you see the van pull yeah. away as the mum's looking for the daughter Violet. But then we cut, and what's weird about these cuts that you got to kind of get used to, and I, but I really did like it, and I think they should do it with more of his adaptations, is they gave you the chapter well, na- number and the title. Yeah, now like it, wasn't, it wasn't in the theatrical version, the chapters. That was right. added in the director's cut. Oh, okay. Um, and absolutely, it does then therefore make it feel much more like a novel. Mm. And each chapter and uh, an end point does also feel like a good chunk. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I mean, I've wrote it down as one of my favourite scenes, chapter one. Yeah. The, the entirety of it. Oh, the, yeah. We've had now the introduction to uh, to our villains of the movie with Rose the Hat and, and uh, the True Knot. Uh, but we do also get introduced to Abra and her family, and uh, it obviously it's nineteen. It, it's much earlier, so we've got a young version of her now. Yeah, so we yeah. see her with her family, with a magician performing tricks. Yeah, uh, we see that she's got imaginary friends. She's making the spoons dangle from the ceiling, you know, and the and the mother and father are t- completely freaking out, you know. It, yeah. it, it's it's the, they, they don't understand what what's going on with the child. Is she a demon worshipper? Is she possessed? Is it magic? Is she I, psychic? I got to admit that's one of my issues with this film was the fact that these things are so prominent in this universe, but the 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 normal the normals are just like uh, I'm like, my fucking kids making spoons hang from the ceiling. This is some X-Men shit we got to deal with right now. Well, at least we they didn't to... force her in a cupboard and force her to read the Bible or something. Like yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like Carrie, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we do also catch up with, uh, with Danny Torrance, now being played fantastically by Ewan McGregor. Now, the most of the first chapter as well is a lot of flashbacks... Uh, where we do have new actors and actresses playing young Danny and his mother. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing snippets of the Overlook Hotel, and we're finding out how Danny basically managed to stop the ghosts that had been following him from his past yeah. by locking them in his mind. And we have this fantastic conversation where he sat at a bench yeah. uh, t- talking to, uh, to Dick Halloran. Um, and Dick basically gives him the box and explains this is what you need to do yeah. in order to 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 move on. Um, but uh, we also catch up with Danny like present day, and he is an absolute <laughs> a mess of a man. Yeah. You know, he's completely now emulating his in his father's footsteps. He is an alcoholic. You know, he's violent, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and he gets himself into trouble. And the moment where he wakes up in that bed. <laughs> woman that he slept with vomit everywhere and he steals from her purse as he's walking out the door he sees the child he sits the child next to the girl and you know we hear the voice like don't don't take that woman's money yeah but we i think he did oh don't, he, he clearly did, did. He clearly yeah. did i'm like i like i i love this whole massive whole chapter one introduction especially the danny torrent stuff because like i said the the film had to run that fine line between Stanley Kubrick's Shining and the book Shining. Um, but they, they are two one and the same so much that you've, you've got to just accept them. And so they're having the whole flashback of him riding around on his bike, seeing the uh, seeing room 237, and then flashing to Florida. You know, you really got the sense that he was traumatized, but he never spoke to his mother about it. They never discussed it. And it's some, like I said, it's some of the unbelievability with the parents, the normals, that they're not going to go, look, talk to me about what's going on. And so you know from the child that Danny is going to go on a downward spiral. I don't need to read a novel to understand that his life is just going to go through the shitter. He's seeing a naked zombie woman in the bath who... By the end of three hours, I was so fucking sick and tired of seeing. I was like, okay, you, you could have used any of the ghosts. Any of the ghosts. Any of the multiple ghosts from the movie. I would, have, I would have liked to have seen the fucking teddy bear man every now and again poking up from a blowjob. That would have been all right. But no, it's always the zombie woman in the bath. And she scares Danny. But getting the message from Dick Halloran's 
future self, Kurt Lumley, I think the actor is. And he explains about this box. I then got a bit confused. So the ghosts have left the hotel and are tracking Danny down because he, at this point, is the most powerful shiner in the universe because they can they can lock onto him. Now they've either left the hotel and gone to him, or he takes, or or they're just the memory of the people at the hotel that he's traumatized by, and then so he locks them all in these boxes, and the boxes are inside his head, and they can't get out. And as long as he never goes back to the hotel, then he'll never remember them and he can kind of live a kind of normal life. Now, with all the drugs, the drinking, the fighting in the bar, that's Obi-Wan after he's dropped off baby Luke on Tatooine. <laughs> he literally just went and got fucked up. Right? It's like snorting all that cocaine, man, drinking all that beer, waking up next to some fucking Trandoshan woman and her, and her Wookiee baby, you know, and he's like, and he does, he totally takes the money and, and fucking Dick Halloran's just like, come on, Doc, don't be such an asshole. Like, I know you've done some bad shit in the last 20 years. You, you have to accept that the time jump is like, here's 20 years, don't, don't question what Danny's been up to for the last 20 years. This is where he is now. And you're like... All of those few okay. scenes, I think, are enough to let you know. You don't need to see that anymore. Well, you don't, but it's it's also... What have the true not been up to for 20 years? Other well, than driving around and we got, possibly we, we, picking up well, more Exactly, that's and... what they've been doing. I, I, gotta, I mean, they are literally like drifters. I... It, it's it it reminded me yeah. so much of near dark yes you know? it, yeah. it was just like i've not seen a ragtag group of individuals that all have their own distinct unique costumes identities and personalities but with but on with the road ne- yeah but with near dark and i got that every single one of the true knot stands out you know you've got the guy with the sunglasses you've got grandpa flack who's like a 17 foot tall you know old man i get the feeling as well from the way that the actors present their characters across that each one of them has been around for an incredibly long time but rose the hat who does her hat help her spirit her Psycho shining ability, or is it just novelty? It's just a novelty thing. Oh, I mean, see, it, it, I thought like how how the way she had it on it can contained her. No, it, it's ability. just it's just a, a symbol. It's something that she's been identified with, so it's part of her. Right, but it does also have. I mean, the the actress herself said that she explained the large pin on her hat. Right, right. Like, because like all of the characters, all of the actors as well, were told like with with your costumes and what trinkets and things you have, yeah. you feel free to improvise and make up your own characters' histories. Yeah, because yeah. we can't have the time to do it for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a lot of the actors were so happy that they got to explore who they were for instance and so she decided that the large pin in her hat was a torture device for children to wedge it underneath their fingernails because that would cause the most exquisite pain yeah it would purify the steam yeah so yeah it's like the costumes and the, and the props and things were were they all fit and the actors all added and contributed to that as well yeah they were well, they've got this whole history but like with near dark they were feeding off blood which is really easy to find in this yeah Shine is, I, even in The Shining, I understood that The Shine was a very rare commodity. Dick Halloran's fucking explained it. Like, look, he, like, he explains in the director's card, I don't know if it's in the theatrical, about how there are other people out there that feed off this and you have to hide it because he's done the same. He's, from the sounds of it, he hid his ability until he met Danny. So now we're seeing older Danny, who is just such a mess. And he contains these spirits in his head and he knows nothing of Rose the Hat until Abra makes her presence felt. Now, that's only until he actually gets near her, isn't it? He He's like, I don't know, a couple of miles just down the road in New Hampshire where she's just up. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Danny leaves leaves town, gets on the bus, he starts drifting himself until yeah. uh, he ends up wandering. He gets picked up by uh, Cliff Curtis, who kind of takes him in, gives him a home. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he has that blackboard, uh, which Abra uses to start communicating with him. Yeah, yeah. I was very surprised they weren't in Maine. Right, yeah. Like, yeah. like I figured the whole thing would be in Maine somewhere. Um, but, yeah, she he, he's got this black wall, and so she's able to talk to him, which is 
cool, I suppose. He doesn't question it. He's just like, we're going to do it. And then it jumps eight years. Well, yeah, he starts going uh, to uh, AA meetings. Uh, he ends up getting a job um, as a as a caretaker and working with Billy. Home. Yeah, working with Cliff Curtis as well. And, uh, and 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 this is this goes into one of my my favorite parts of the film as well, where he gets the name Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Uh, where he, th- this cat that you know that, that's there. <laughs> the cat. What the fuck was with the cat? Well, Whose cat a, is that? Where's it come from? There's a story behind that cat. The right, cat okay. was called Azzy. Right. Uh, and it was played by a cat called Bonkers. Uh, but but Azzy was short for Azriel, which is the angel of death. Uh, okay. And yeah. it is actually based on a true story of a cat in an old people's home. Yeah. That on the day the cat the cat for whatever reason knew which patient or which person living there was going to die and would always be on their bed the the night that they're passing uh this journal that went out said that it it, you know um had witnessed more than a hundred deaths before the cat itself passed away um and so literally this cat has the shine and and so it knows which which patient's going to go next never thought that that the cat Um, has the shine and so of course danny is aware of the cat has the shine picks up on that and also then uses his shine for the first time in however long it's been to help the passing of these patients and man the first patient that he meets i was like i the emotions were flying the yeah the actors deliver it so well how he's afraid uh and how danny eases his mind paints a picture of his memories lets him see his wife and lets him pass peacefully yeah and it's just so beautifully portrayed by these actors very well filmed from lighting the music the composition everything is just so good uh, it really hits you in the feels, and it also then actually you see the difference where Danny is now from where he was not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, not reading the book, I'm sure the book goes into a more in-depth understanding of like what he's gone through to get himself back onto the track, you know. And like we said, Stephen King obviously probably went into some major details about how you know addiction and recovery and all that kind of stuff. But the whole sitting with the with the guy and showing him the memories and then watching the guy just pass away. I was like, that's nice film. I I like how you subtly but nicely put it, this is how he becomes Dr. Sleep. So then when it does jump eight years, you've already eased into it that he's been doing it now for eight years and he's probably allowed many people just kind of disappear. In contrast with that sequence is the sequence with the baseball boy, which... I shit you not, I had to pause and kind of go out the room to kind of recover myself. Because the, the film was three hours long. I knew I'd have to take a break at some point. I just didn't know how it was going to hit me so hard. And the film loads you in like, you know, they're, they're getting hungry. The, the, the true not are getting hungry. Uh, Grandpa Flack is starting to show signs of great. They eat beef burgers. Yeah, I guess they can still eat. But, but consuming the shine must eat them up. In, from inside and they've already come across uh, this girl snake by and andy played by emily allenkind who oh my god god damn like she's luring guys off the internet you know pretending to be underage or whatever and then she uses her shine to just get them to do whatever she wants they go to sleep she uh, scars them and steals their money and so rose has come across this with crow daddy played by uh, zach mclarnon um and they want to bring andy into their fold because you know they like to expand the true knot they take the best powers for themselves they feed off the people that they they could eat andy if they wanted to but she'd probably not last very long she's maybe. got a very good power though which she is does. It's known as a pusher yeah she can push people into doing whatever she says yeah so that would really help them you know be able to stay hidden be able to do more and then obviously they get the, the, the lure for the baseball boy who is a little boy in the middle of America's fucking midpoint, uh, you know. Of course, I recognise the actor straight away as yeah. Jacob Tremblay. I was just like, Jacob bad memories Tremblay of your last previous movie. From uh, the Predators. But uh, there is a small cameo here at this baseball scene. There's two guys watching the match and one of them's just like, yeah, that number 19 kid, yeah, yeah. he's going to get picked up by a talent scout one of these days. Uh, that actor there, not really an actor, well, retired from acting right after The Shining. That's yeah. the original Danny Torrance. Wow. <laughs> so, got a cameo appearance there. But, of course, 
uh, Crow Daddy is overhearing this conversation. He's just like, oh, really? Well, I'm guessing that kid's got the shine. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we see him walking. I was just like, man, if this kid's so good at baseball, like, where's his family? I'm like, like exactly. But then, but then I was also thinking, well, it was probably, like, Abby's family, where they're like, our kid is horribly gifted, but he's probably playing with demonic spirits, or it's probably Satan worshiping. You know, they probably don't want anything to do with him. This, so probably not there. This whole sequence is just every fucking parent's nightmare. It, it's Stephen it's, King universe. Uh, all, all parents don't want their kids to have any kind of weird powers, and they just get shunned. No, no, no. No parents ever wants to fucking have their child just disappear off a road. Stephen King, you know, you're you're a terrible parent. <laughs> But because, the, you know, this, this little boy's just walking along and they pull up along the van, uh, pull up alongside in their van and Andy just opens the door and she says, you want to get in? And of course he just wants to get in. Um, and in the next sequence, they pull up at this abandoned industrial site, you know, and the kid is just screaming from the back of the van and they pull him out and they tie him and stake his arms and legs to the ground. And you have that horrible moment where... He's just like, are you going to hurt me? And Rose the Hatch just like, yes. Are you gonna hurt me? Yes. <laughs> and she explains that the more pain they inflict, the more fear that this boy feels, the stronger his shine will be, his steam will be as it exits his body. And we watch the sequence in just all of its glory and it's fucking terrifying because yeah. <laughs> because i flick back to violet at the beginning that they would have done the same to her they've done she, it to countless numbers of children children people these people have been doing this supposedly for so long they've been doing it to anybody they, that they knew they had a shine and you don't see it this is how well this movie is done as well that you don't need to see what they do but you immediately can imagine what they do she's yeah. fucking the, the the violence is implied um mm. but it is that blood splatter we see go across him that is enough to let you know that you know he's being eviscerated here yeah, yeah. now uh mike flanagan has, has said that you know the, the making of this scene was uh was very harrowing uh. uh even even uh even in the editing process they had to do multiple takes and at one point stephen king was like it's too much yeah it's too much it's too much and they were like well, stephen king you fucking wrote it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. but yeah they they they, they had to play with the audio to try and mask out some of the the cries and screams with yeah. the music and yeah. with with other things to try and make it less horrifying um but uh it it on on the on the actual set like even the director struggled to say the words cut yeah. like afterwards uh, Rebecca Ferguson uh, she broke down on, yeah. on, during oh. the take she couldn't she could not finish the scene she could not get her words out she couldn't deliver the line she broke character yeah. because Jacob Tremblay gave such a fantastic and harrowing experience that once he had done the take he got up smiled went cheers and he went yeah. off to go and get <laughs> snacks everybody else went back to their trailers and had a breakdown they were traumatised by his performance yeah because um, everything, everything just made it so real yes yeah yeah. And and like what you know what really fucking hit it home for me that made it just like these these things are so horrible. These like I see them as energy vampires but I know they're not energy vampires because it's I, I don't know they're zombies. They're some kind of undead. They feed off life force. It's what keeps them young. They're not immortal. They don't rejuvenate as well as they could, I suppose. They literally are just living an incredibly long time. But it's the way, the way he dies, and the rest of the the knot have kind of dispersed at this point because they've eaten what their fill for the time, and she squeezes his body the last few breaths out. She just that's all she really wants, you know. He the the shell is nothing, you know. The 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 boy, his family, nobody cares. She doesn't care about them, and she squeezes out the last of the shine. She spits it in the vial. They close it up, and then her and Crow Daddy just kind of build a shallow grave and just throw them into it and it's fucking terrifying and with yeah. abra as well now exactly i mean the whole scene as well again it's written down as a favorite scene is because it is so well edited as well in terms of the music and the scenery and the emotions because we're having abby who is witnessing all of this like she's well, she's actually there and of course um rose the hat is becomes aware of her yeah watching them um, and because she also has the link to Danny, like it wakes him up 
You know, yeah. they all become sort of aware of each other. Yeah. Um, and the way it's edited, of course, with murder blasting over the board <laughs> in the mirror, red rum. Red rum. I, mean, it, it, I mean, it's just such a, a powerful moment. It, it, I mean, that that's the point. Like, now we know all the players are aware of each other. We know where the story's going to go. I, I did like that little bit where it's just like, red rum on the wall, and it's like, ha, remember, it's a Shining movie. And you're like, oh, yeah, sorry. I totally, for I totally forgot. every Because everything else had been building up, you know, to take you away from the hotel i suppose but keep you in the universe chucking it back in there it's like ah, remember and you're like okay i got you maybe i got you the this this whole like i don't know third act this there's like six chapters and the first two are obviously there to establish all the players and everything that's going on the middle two is getting them all together uh to understand what their whole point is and then the third act just want to bring up there's um uh, around the middle-ish areas when i've started to become acutely aware of the amount of dark tower references yeah yeah in the film and especially as they've just left lamurk industries right. which is lamurk in the dark tower and it's a foundry for creating metal yeah, so it's like yeah. so the evil beings of the dark tower was at the foundry where these evil true not were uh but but going back earlier there was a conversation uh, with uh, with Dan and uh, and Dick Halloran, where he says it's car, it's the wheel, um, and uh, there's also the scene where where Abra gets on the bus to go and see Dan, yeah, and she gets on the Tet uh, transportation, right, right, and in the Dark Tower universe, a cartet is like a, a group of people destined to come together for whatever reason. So there's... I was Sneaky! Like, so I was like, yeah, I Sneaky. really, really appreciate like, all the like Dark that. Tower nods. I, I mean, like just that. one last thing as well is that there's also roses. I think uh, Abra's painted roses or pictures of roses on right. her inner room or on the fridge door. Yeah. And of course you've got Rose the Hat, so there's Rose a link that. there, but also the Dark Tower surrounded by roses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, well, that's it. Like, Abra is gone. She's even found Danny... You know, she's spoken to him about this situation with Rose the Hat, how they're murdering children, you know, and, and she, she's like, uh, the actress playing Abra, uh, Kylie Curran, she was older than what I was led to believe uh, the, the character is supposed to be. Like, she's fucking on it. She's like, Danny, we need to find these people and kill them. And Danny's like, no, no, hide. you need to hide your shine ability and try to be normal. You can't just lure yourself out into this whole universe. Just, just not. And he like fully puts her down and makes her feel bad that, you know, what you Because doing. he was traumatized by it. She's not. I get, I get that. But this dude is like lived for 20 fucking plus years with a magic ability that he knows has been established by an evil fucking hotel. Like, like he doesn't know he lives in a Stephen King universe. I get that. But I know he lives in a Stephen King universe. So he needs to fucking understand. He's been talking to Dick Halloran for like 20 plus years. Come on. You're either talking to yourself, dude, or a ghost. Pick one. You know? But he kind of tells her that she needs to kind of put her stuff down. But Rose is on it. And she, like, uses her ability to hunt Abra. Because Crow Daddy can't can't do it. I thought Crow Daddy was like a, a, a shiner psyker, like a tracker with his shiner ability. He's just a very you know. good tracker, but yeah, in the book he doesn't have any abilities. But he is also I mean, there's kind of like they they they're like a family. Yeah, yeah. But they're also kind of incestual as well. Yeah, I um like yeah, I uh, the, got, uh, what got she that. called the snake bite Andy. Andy yeah. She has a lesbian relationship with Rose and Rose also sleeping with, with Crow Daddy. Yeah, and... I I felt like that would be there somewhere but the film doesn't emphasize it doesn't know like rose is very playful but she will kill everybody if she's fiercely she wants loyal to. To, yeah yeah she she'll she, she'll take care of the family but at the same time she will kill anybody to protect her i suppose um but her going on that psychic astral plane kind of projection to go find abra was 
Wow. That was really good, wasn't that it? That was so good. The, the way the room tilts, yeah. uh, the way that she flies through across the clouds, across the city, lands on the street to find her. Oh, it's, it's like watching Jean Grey use Cerebro. Right, like, yeah. <laughs> like, this is Professor X level fucking psychic abilities. That she's Obviously, she's not really there. Her body's there. Yeah. But when she comes down, she zooms down onto the, 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 um, the street. Because Crow Daddy had found out the information of a small earthquake caused by Abra you know, using her shine abilities. So they're finding that. And then she gets inside her room. And the you... filing cabinet of memories. Oh, that's amazing. Like, if you've ever seen Dreamcatcher, like, a lot of people slate Dreamcatcher, but I fucking love it. Just the, the, some of the ideas and the explanation they have. The library inside that guy's head. So seeing the filing cabinets, I'm like, I get it. I totally get it. The body in the bed, I'm like, <laughs> Rose, you dumb bitch. Like... You've got the chance to you've got the chance to capture this powerful psycho who you know is super powerful, but you're gonna take advantage and watching the filing cabinet crush her hand, trapping her, Abra just being as powerful as she is to just kind of root through Rose's head as freely as she can. Get back! Get back! No, oh, you're just a fucking child! It's a, it's a nice way for the movie to take what is essentially probably, what, 15 chapters in one book and just case it down in 30 minutes and go, here you go, Abra, here's all the information that you're going to need to finish the rest of the film. Because Rose has to pull her hand out, she has to fight back, and then she ends up going and flying back into her own body. And then you, like, seeing the effects of her hand in the real world, I'm like, that's cool. I like yeah. that. That's uh, Robert Kurtzman for you, doing the special effects. Absolute legend in the field, of course, doing all the makeup effect in the film. Did a yeah. tremendous job bringing these ghosts, these monsters, and these gory flesh wounds uh, to, to gory effect. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the other, one of my other favorite scenes is when... Uh, when Abra does the reverse back to her yeah. and kind of floats through and lands, you know, in the in the supermarket, in the supermarket and yeah. uh, you, we we know she's landed inside of of Rose, but like Rose is just like somebody's watching me. She turns around, yeah. So like, there's nobody behind me, but as an audience, we know we're it's already behind her eyes. And there's that moment where she looks in the uh, in the mirror reflection. Yeah, she's like, well, hello there. Yeah. And uh, of course, again, their second battle, and this is where Rose Hat realizes she is kind of out of her element here. She doesn't have the power. Yes, she realizes that. I mean, she says that Abra is probably the most powerful shiner she's ever seen in her entire lifespan. Well, this is where she gets the idea that they shouldn't kill her and they shouldn't completely drain completely, her, completely turn use her. her as a cow. Yeah, because there's such a shortage of shine to milk her. And I'm like, that's. That's a good idea, but after a while, the shine would become diluted. They even explain that as well, that, you know, as you get older, that your shine ability becomes lesser, more hollow. I suppose that's what... Life experience does to it. Yeah, you, that's what kills them. Because we do see what effects, uh, you know, th this has, because we watch Grandpa Flack die. And, it, you know, I didn't think about it until we started sitting down talking about it. Like, the emphasis of death in this film is really heavy in there but giving you multiple insights of how it can be perceived this this one thing can be perceived from so many different angles we've got the old man in the home having danny you know hold his hand and lead him into a happier life rose kind of does the same here for flack but he is so in pain you know he he wants to hold on but he can and he's just about to just turn to dust it's um again it, it's 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 a metaphor for addiction yeah you know, for drug addiction alcoholism what, uh, life uh, it's uh, <laughs> watching the true knot then because i i was sat there i'm like if he dies do they get to eat his shine and then when you see them go like an orgy almost yeah. <laughs> they just ab absorb it but you know rose kind of knows that you know she has to they have to do something so Abra kind of uh, convinces Danny to seek out the information for the baseball kid boy. And Danny, in a nice way, I suppose, that the film does it, he basically just goes to Cliff Curtis and says, hey, I've got a long story to tell you. You said you'd always listen to me. And then they're in the car. <laughs> and Cliff Curtis is like, oh, man, I totally believe you that story. And I'm like, man, Cliff Curtis, you, you're such a good actor. I totally believe he just explained to you his entire life story yeah. i love the fact that he's also chatting with abra who's not in the back seat but oh, is. yeah I, I love that too. cliff's just like who are you talking to man 
I would have loved as well, if somebody could edit it, I would love for the sequence where Ewan McGregor kind of walks up the door and says, I need to tell you a story. If he just held up a Shining DVD, <laughs> and then that was it. They just went and watched him. That's me. That's me riding on the track. But yeah, he's in the car, and he, they're, they're driving to the industrial plant, and he tells Abra to leave because he knows that this, this is true and even Cliff Curtis explains like look I've just come to the horrible realisation we're either going to get there you're wrong and insane or we get there and you're right and there's a body so the, both outcomes are pretty shit <laughs> yeah and they dig and they come across the body and it's it's really harsh obviously just the way that they they feel that the body's just been discarded they can give it to the, to the family now to actually get a proper burial but they've come to the thought process that they're they're, they're just going to kill the true knot, which I was like, fuck yeah. Like, we're not even going to attempt to call the cops. We're not even going to attempt to call the FBI or the Ghostbusters it's, or... It's one thing uh, in the film that is, is way too way too much for me, a throwaway line, where they're just like, no, we can't call the cops, we can't get authorities involved, because these people have got powerful friends and they're well-connected. Yeah. like... No. To who? Really? <laughs> to who? They're not. They're fucking living in the middle of a fucking right. I was just like, park. I was like, was that just a lie and excuse to be able to get your hands dirty and do it yourselves? It, I suppose because, like I said, this is how I felt with the whole parent angle of how they treated. Like I kind of understood the Shelley Duvall not being able to understand Danny because Danny was a rarity, and how do you talk about it? But she saw shit at that hotel, so she'd have been dealing with some shit as well. Danny's already explained that he couldn't even look at his mother because he sees flies from the dead sometimes. I mean, we had that horrible sequence with the mum and the baby in the bed. That was oh. horrifying. They still haven't found us yet. Like, Jesus. It's like, oh, is that real? Are those ghosts well, real? What? It probably was because he's they're attracted to his shine. That, yeah, 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 that's it. And yeah, and so so the the idea that the, all the supernatural stuff is happening in this universe, I get. So I can accept that you're not going to call the cops or get the uh, or get the FBI in. But it's the fact that that's where we are. That this is all so fantastical. Normal reality boundaries have just gone out the window, except the fact that bullets still hurt. <laughs> and so. So Cliff Curtis, Hugh McGregor, you know, Abra, they drive out and they, and you know, Danny explains to Abra like, look, I want you to do something. I want you to kind of lure them all out into the middle of this place. And then in a way, use your psychic ability to pretend that you're there. You gotta remember, Abra's actually back at home with her dad. She's still at home. Yeah. yeah so she's, she's going to trick them there. Um, but Crow Daddy has said to Rose, look, you, you need to stay here for reason well because abra is, abra is aware of where rose is so abra would know immediately if rose was coming towards her i, sp I so suppose it, then that water works you know because he does get to abra in her home while the true knot are in the middle of the woods getting fucking shot up. for the bait yeah yeah by rifles and shit and like it was very surprising that they were getting hit some of them didn't seem like the completely mortal wounds. But like a shoulder shot. Yeah, yeah, but they get completely taken out and then they go through their horrible kind of, yeah, like vampire. Like rapid decomposition. They just almost explode. <laughs> Each one of them dies. And, and Rose is like, a, you know, watching this. So she is severely affected by each one of their deaths. Um, but just as Andy is about to kill Danny, um, Cliff Curtis manages to wound her. But she convinces Billy to kill himself and he blows his brains out. And she dies laughing maniacally at the pain she's caused as she's on her way out. And it's just like, cut down. How evil were these people? They fucking <laughs> e They ain't children, mate. They're fucking evil. Because obviously, like we said, Crow Daddy has got to Abra and he's killed her dad. You know, like, I mean, that was a bit, that was a thing. Because I, I, I wanted to know how, how old Crow Daddy was because it was like he threw away this this line to the dad, like mortals, you know, always thinking above your station or something. And then the next thing we see is the dad has just got this knife embedded in his chest and he's grabbed Abra and she's driving in the car and he's drugged her with this like super medical army grade psycho dampening shit. Like she can speak, 
but she is really groggy. She can't can't shine. Um, and Danny is like really upset. Like he's just lost his best friend. He's just killed a bunch of people. The kid is missing. Obviously, he's going to get totally blamed for all this, and his life's going to go in a complete shitter. And Rose is going to win or something. And he gets that bottle, and it's close. And part of me kind of wanted him to have a drink because I was like, dude, you fucking earned it. Seriously, like. I don't care how much of an alcoholic you think you're going to be. The shit you're seeing right now is nothing compared to alcoholism. Just go. But he fights it. He throws the bottle away and he shines to um, Abra. And he finds her location, which I was really surprised that Rose didn't catch up on this. You know, he must be shining ability. And Rose, and Rose must be tracking Crow Daddy. So no pickup. No pickup there. And he, he even says to Abra, like, look, I'm going to try something. And so he places himself inside her body and then uses her body to apply his shine to throw the car and get a crow daddy to crash. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we watch him go flying around the yeah. windscreen and we watch him die a horrible, painful death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, she says that, doesn't yeah. she? Like, <laughs> I hope it hurts. I hope it hurts. <laughs> and then, obviously, she... she she faces Rose in the street, doesn't she? Yeah. But she and she just, walks right through her like she's nothing. She's no, she's not afraid of her. Which, like at this point, I'm like, man, Abra, you are so fucking badass. Everybody else is just <laughs> a fucking idiot. Well, this is now what sets us up for the final chapter of the film mm. as we go back once more to the Overlook Hotel. Now, of course, in the Stephen King book, the ending of The Shining, the hotel had burnt down. Yes. But because this is a sequel to uh, uh, Kubrick's The Shining, the hotel is still standing. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, one issue, like, it's still standing, but they didn't change anything. Like, well, they just boarded it up and abandoned it after the murders that happened there, after, I don't know, maybe more more horrible things happened there after, after Danny and Mum left. Then why not bulldoze the motherfucker? Because that costs money. Just leave it. <laughs> I, just, I think they missed out on a trick that they could have burnt the, sh the hotel down for the sequel and still had it standing I... like a shell. The, the fact that we get so many recreated scenes in the hotel. Yeah. They, you know, it, it like, if they were... I also think, like, it's a big, memorable, iconic building in horror. Like, having it here, I think, really, really works. Yeah, but then, um, then... And I'd be disappointed if they'd got there and it was just a burnt down nothing. Like in like in the book, Doctor Sleep, it, it's burnt down. It's well, not there. I mean, I know how I I know why they did it because they they could add in all the extra. Look look at the camera shot that we're the doing. The nostalgia just, like, as he Stan walked Kubrick. past the 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 axe that went through the door. Well, not just that, but the driver. Yes, the driver. Time, you know, yeah. getting in there. He tells Abra to stay outside because he needs to go and wake the hotel up. And like I said, I was still a little bit confused because I'm like, so the ghosts are trapped in your head, but you need to wake the hotel up so that you can... The hotel is its own evil entity that has no corporeal form other right. than through its possessions. Right, yeah. So, so the ghosts are in his head. They're completely separate entities. The hotel is a completely separate evil entity which has been laying dormant for 20 years and now needs to wake up and is like, Danny, where hair, you're back. <laughs> I love the moment when he first steps in and the lights just start to illuminate. I Yeah, I did. I, I thought that was that was pretty cool. And, and like he has the whole bar moment. Yeah. Like he speaks to, like it's not, it's not Jack Nicholson. I'm kind of glad they didn't get him back and I'm kind of glad they didn't go with a digital render. Like, having this guy here, Lloyd, the the barman, gives the film the Stanley Kubrick kind of nod, just like in the original, um, but also I feel really heavily emphasizes how the book is that, look, we've we got to do stuff differently. We have to. This is different. Yeah. You know, this isn't in the book, but we needed it as well. I think it's so powerful as well because it is, you know, like the entire film, we've been following Danny Torrance dealing with the fact that his dad, you know, may have molested him based on the theories of the Kubrick version. Yeah. Um, did turn into a homicidal alcoholic maniac that did actually break his arm at one point. Yeah, yeah. Then went to try and kill him and his mother. Yeah. So he's dealing with the trauma of his dad dying at the age of five, dealing with the shine, dealing with alcoholism, the dealing with abuse, dealing with addiction. The fact that they then, were in an evil hotel. Yeah, they were in an evil hotel, but then turning it all around to say, like, you know, when his dad is like, here, take your medicine, yeah. you know, which is a line that was repeated a lot in the book. 
um, and him, you know, actually just saying no, like no, no, like this final no to his dad. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was like it was a very powerful scene, and Ewan McGregor really, really gave the goods here. I, I, I really liked the, this sequence as well because, you know, uh, Ewan McGregor gets a lot of slate for not being the best actor that he can be, but you give him. You give him a stage and Ewan McGregor fucking shines. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, having him at this bar, I love the way that the bartender, Lloyd, Jack Nicholson, stunt double, whatever, you know, went from being the bartender to being this horrible, evil person, entity, to flicking right back to being the bartender yes. again. You know, the fact that I'm constantly telling myself that none of this is real. It's all in Danny's head. But it is real in Danny's head because the hotel is real it's evil everything is evil everything is powerful there's this whole supernatural thing going on and then when Abra just turns up I mean he goes to the bathroom at first doesn't he he has yeah. to get his wash down because he's got the drink spilt on him which was absolutely brilliant like I said just like the, the recreation of those rooms I mean yeah. there was a, another really really good recreation in the film when he goes to visit uh, Dr. John Dalton's office, oh, which is a complete Pike, yeah. replica, yeah, of, uh, of 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 Stuart Ullman's office, yeah, where Jack's interviewed for the caretaker position, right down to the flags and the yes. cups, the pictures on yeah. the walls, yeah, like, yeah. There, there were so many moments in this movie. I was like, am I just watching them just recreate The Shining in Doctor Sleep mode? I, I'm not entirely sure, but the the fact that they had these shots were so beautiful, especially when. Like, he, he goes outside, uh, uh, Abra warns him that Rose is on the way. And so he goes out, he brings her in. And, he you know, he didn't bring her in initially because the, she wouldn't have been able to stand against the hotel. He can kind of protect her against the hotel now while it's waking up. Rose comes in, and this final fight sequence is good. It's not brilliant. I won't, I won't say it's brilliant. But it's good so that you mix both the book and the film to such a level that it ends nicely for you. Like they have Abra and, and Rose start to have this back and forth and Rose gets the upper hand. And then she realizes, hang on a minute, I'm not inside your mind. I'm in somebody else's. She's not since Danny for the entirety of the movie. It's I, I think it's a really great moment where they're in the hedge maze. Yes. And we see Danny's box just creeping yeah. up behind her and it's about to get her before the realisation where she destroys it wakes up and back into reality yeah. where she faces Danny and she's just like, where have you been? Yeah. She tries to seduce him. Like come to the dark side, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go and kill the kid ourselves. We can yeah. feed off her and we'll live forever. forever. And Danny's just like, nah. no, no. <laughs> you know my answer. Yeah, he's told Abra to already already run and hide because he doesn't know how this fight's gonna go. Like, and he hits her with the axe. We'd seen her eat the last of the shine or the steam yeah. that they'd had, and that helped heal her hands. And so, I. The film doesn't really show you, but I get the feeling like she's like on a whole nother level now. Yeah. Like she's OD and like fuck on, on the steam. So even taking it, like he'd have to bodily dismember her to stop her. But she manages to overpower him and hits his major artery, which like he's dying. She, he knows it, she knows it. And she starts to torture him because um, she wants to feed off his shine. But then she senses what he's got trapped inside him. And I'm like, what? okay, right, so he's probably got the ghosts inside his head because now she can sense him. But he's brought them to the hotel, which is now where the ghosts are probably the most powerful and she's not going to be able to stop them. And once he once he opens, it's over so quickly. You gotta, It's so good, but it's over so quickly. The ghosts immediately come out, their eyes are open, they see Rose, they grab her and they just... Devour her <laughs> really oh, quick, quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Like she dies painfully. Yeah, but the moment uh, the moment they've devoured her, their their eyes turn back to Danny, and they're just like, "You're not getting away this time." No, and they got him. The, well, this is it. Well, like they don't eat him immediately. I think because they're sated. The hotel, from... I think, yeah, wanted to possess him. Yeah, the whole like it's sated on Rose for the moment, and it wants to possess him because if it kills Abra, like 
it would have killed Danny in The Shining the first time around. It gets to trap her and then, I don't know, feed off her forever and stay powerful, evil, whatever. Danny has already put into plan the plan that his father would have done in the book, in the original, which is set the boiler to explode. And so when he finally hunts down Abra and she gets into room 237, I believe, and sees the naked woman in the bath again... Danny turns up with the axe, you know, kind of doing his his best Jack Nicholson impression that he can, chasing down. And she breaks through using her shine to Danny. And he, you know, it's it's a really nice little moment that he says to her, like, he's happy, he's thankful, he's redeemed himself, everything. He's, you know, he'd been a bit of a horrible dick at the beginning of the movie. We think that he may have accidentally killed that baby and the mum and stole their money. But he saved her. And saved her as much as he can because he got her dad killed. You know, and Billy died too. You know, and Abra's going to have to... All this to explain to the cops as well. And he tells her to just run. And she runs outside. And he has that final uh, meeting with his mum. Yeah. In front of the boiler. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's uh, it's really good. I was really, really satisfied with this uh, resolution. Yeah, the, the, the actress playing not Shelley Duvall <laughs> yeah. was, was really good. Because I... Like, they could have easily digitised it like they have done with some films. But the fact that this actress was doing their best with her voice as well. It was something Mike Flanagan said. He said, you know, he wanted to honour the the characters. And he said it's, you know, it's not not necessarily about the actors. But uh, the characters. And so that was what he was, you know, the priority to come through. And I think they really did that, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, the hotel burns and the police turn up to rescue Abra. You know, she she's taken home and she kind of has... Like, you have this moment with her and... Her mum. Well, Danny at the end. Yeah, which, yeah. You yeah. know, where, where they're basically talking. And you know, because you'd already seen it with Danny and Dick at the beginning, that he's basically doing an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, it was it was yeah. something he he was owed the debt, you know, the, the to uh, to pass on the training to let somebody else know what their shine oh, is. Oh, totally. He's and a force so, ghost. Exactly. He's so he completely ghost. does that and he's just he's he, and, he, and he and he moves on. <laughs> like da, 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 da. now totally wrong film series people here that she's not got force powers. She's not the good side of the force. But she explains to Abra explains to her mum that she like, I have to tell you this. Yeah. You have to understand that I have this gift. I can talk to ghosts. I can talk to... Well, speaking I, of I, ghosts, I, isn't there one more ghost she has to deal with? Oh, for... Yeah, for fuck's sake, movie. Like, <laughs> what is it with this woman? Like, she just sits in the bath, just pulling back the curtain. I'm like, oh, bitch, I'm just going to piss. And she's like... I'm going to get out the bath and scare you. And what, dude, really, what are you going to do? Strangle me again? Get the... Fuck out of here. Like, does Abra now trap her in the box? Yeah, in her mind. We'll have to see all the other ghosts and maybe if they find her. I mean, isn't the hotel destroyed? Can she. I'm guessing the spirit of the hotel, whatever was there, is gone, but the ghosts are free now. But wherever. They've got nothing to tie them anywhere. I was going to say, are they not released? Were they even. don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, Ian, what were your favourite scenes from Doctor Sleep? Um, I, I really did enjoy the, uh, the, the film. Uh, the first major favourite scene was uh, Rose looking for Abra. Um, the whole kind of neo-matrix, kind of cerebro psyker going through the whole of the country looking for this life force. It was done really well. I mean, yes, it's special effects, but it was just done really really well and at that point i'd already accepted the fantastical nature of the movie so showing me anything else that was just kind of out of the ordinary i was like i've seen a naked woman in a bath 60 fucking times (laughs) the 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 killing of the baseball bat kid was fucking traumatizing absolutely traumatizing um as a parent you never ever want to hear that noise especially like like gary said the actors and actresses on on set everybody else they kind of had a breakdown after this boys you know just screams just hit you but it it's not just that it's like i said the squeezing of the last of the shine was how much she even cared she didn't care about him she cared just about the shine and then them digging up the body, getting Cliff Curtis, who's just absolutely brilliant, acting alongside you and McGregor, that what they're doing, when they start to vomit because they can smell the smell. Like, I thought Billy's story about the deer was a bit extra added in there and wasn't really needed. But then at the same time, I could what, listen to Cliff Curtis talk all day. So it, it emphasised the next sequence of him smelling it and just hating it and then him wanting to go out and 
and kill them all. Uh, and and my final favorite sequence has to be the 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 monologue, the conversation between Danny and Lloyd at the bar. It's the shining. It's so good, and so you, when you just get to relive it again, but from a different perspective, you know, um, and understanding it from where it's come from to where it is now, it was just top notch. Oh, absolutely. There are there are so many memorable scenes in the film. Um, it's hard to really pick some favourites, but here we go. <laughs> um, I loved, like I said, the intro chapter. Um, I thought it would. I thought it was almost perfect the way it established every character catching up with characters we recognise, where they are now, introducing the villains, introducing the new players. Yeah. Uh, before they all come together, uh, I thought that was really well handled. Abra becoming aware of the shining the fact that uh, when 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 they also when they all become aware of each other during during uh, the number 19 baseball boys death yeah uh, I just thought that was a really powerful moment everything crescendoed perfectly from the editing to the music to the visuals to the characters performances it was really really well done uh, the the nightmare where uh, the 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 lady and the child from the beginning turns to him, yeah, and oh, you hear man. the echoing that they haven't found us yet. Yeah. Oh, that 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 lingers. That that's painful, and of course that again just scars and traumatizes Danny even more. Yeah. The doctor sleep scenes with the cats, with the old man passing on. Ewan McGregor was absolutely like an angel in in those scenes, and it was really 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 well done. The the scene where he uh, where he goes where the cat goes into an empty room oh, and yeah. then of course it's uh, it's Dick Halloran yeah uh, and he explains again you've got the debt to pay on and 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 I love the line where he says this world is a dream of a dream to me now yeah and yeah. then he explains the, the you know car and car is a wheel dark uh, great 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 moment in the film. Um, I love the AA meeting where he gets his five months uh, badge and he's talking about how he's now in his the you know the footsteps of his father yeah uh, where he had been or where he had got to with his trying to give up the alcoholism um, leading up into the scene where his dad is offering him the drink and he still says no yeah uh, great 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 performances great moments uh, yeah and then yeah Dan and, and Jack Torrance at the bar having that conversation you know really uh, brings the whole story together <laughs> yeah. Well, Ian, do you recommend Doctor Sleep? I am really surprised myself, and yes, I do. This film, I always knew uh, uh, was going to run like a really fine line between The Shining, the book, and The Shining, the movie, and I wasn't too sure how I would feel about it. I've, I've experienced so much Stephen King adaptations uh, in my life that you know it always comes down to it what's better the book or the movie the book or the movie and for me Dr. Sleep really just emphasizes that for a movie you have to make things different you you can keep it the same but you are just keeping it the same for that one place if you're if you're coming from two separate places you you you've got to run it really quite well everything that was from The Shining the book um, or, or Dr. Sleep, the book, which came from The Shine the Book, I thought was really done well. The actors really um, helped me understand where these characters were coming from, the histories. Even though that some of them, like with the, the True Knot, they made a lot of that stuff up. I understood these characters from what they made up, from what they gathered from the books themselves. Leading up to the moments that you then... You know, you go, oh shit, I recognize Stanley Kubrick there, you know, doing it from from this director's perspective was really done well and pays really nice homage, honor, you know, respect, everything just for three hours, you'll be surprised how much enjoyment, pain and negative emotions you can feel all at once and just hope that nobody's sensing it and wants to feed off you. <laughs> oh hell yes i'm gonna be recommending dr sleep i'm giving this film my must watch recommendation and i think the director's cut is the best way to experience this incredibly good totally immersive fantasy drama horror Mike Flanagan is, in my opinion, has masterfully bridged the gap between Kubrick and King, creating an authentic sequel 39 years later. Nice. With a great eye for details and a strong understanding of the source material, the story, the characters. Ewan McGregor was 
was absolutely brilliant, always gives a great performance, really delivers a believable Danny Torrance, the trauma, the guilt, the alcoholism, the recovery, and Rebecca Ferguson was frightening, beautiful and scary, a truly evil and memorable villain. Uh, Kylie Curran was also really good as Abra Stone, showcasing a great range of emotions. The supporting cast all really bring the characters to screen brilliantly. I really enjoyed the pacing, the, the long slow dissolve edits, the beautiful cinematography and landscapes, the sets and the recreation of the Overlook Hotel was flawless, and the music matched uh, the, the encompassing dread of The Shining really, really well. My only criticism of the film is maybe the use of, or the overuse of reshooting so many iconic moments from The Shining as flashbacks and memories. Like the zombie bath woman. I felt it wasn't as needed as much as it was. Other than that, this is, in my opinion, one of the best Stephen King adaptations made by a director and crew to whom it was a labor of love. It was a perfect catet. <laughs> the world will shine again. Dare to go back? Thanks for watching Off the Shelf Reviews. I know. My whole life through I'll be remembering you Whatever else I